called Lazy Fred. Fred is definitely not here among these 350 eager barber shoppers. It's 9.30 in the morning and we're all warming up in a lecture hall at Nottingham University, ready for a full-on weekend of education, coaching and lots of singing by day and night. I'm John Beasley and for this 15th edition of the Harmony UK podcast, we've come to a real celebration for this is the British Association of Barbershop Singers annual Harmony College. And right now, in August 2018, the college is celebrating its 40th anniversary. Leading the two audition courses, we've had Johnny Maroney, who directs the Ambassadors of Harmony, and Justin Miller, who directs Westminster Chorus and Masters of Harmony, joined by possibly the greatest barbershop arranger of all time, David Wright. We're talking to Alan Hughes, Music Services Director of Babs, and the man responsible for bringing together an impressive array of educators for this special anniversary event. Eric Dolby, one of the best leads in barbershop. Tim Warwick, who's infamous for his learning tracks and his singing ability, and Chris Hallam. So six guests from the United States. So, so what sort of effort did that take then, to get all these people in one place at one time? Uh, to, to be honest, when I mentioned it to Vocal Spectrum, uh, they've been to Bath before and they bit my head off. And they, almost in no time whatsoever, they wanted to come over. And uh, Justin uh, and David as well were very keen. Babs has got a strong reputation out there in the barbershop world and they were all keen to come and teach at the event. So to be honest, it wasn't that hard. And having been here before, the members of Vocal Spectrum would presumably have known that they were in for a hard-working, full-on weekend. It's 10am and the quartet are treating us to a song ahead of the official opening of proceedings. Within half an hour, the different college streams are underway. So I want you guys to elongate every single word. There's a wicked woman. This is Johnny Maroney, who's also the co-director of the Ambassadors of Harmony. He's coaching singers from one of the college's two auditioned choruses. Leads and tenors, leads and tenors, there's. There's a wicked woman, so despicable and sad. She's heartless, cold and pitiless. She's evil and Well, while Johnny coaches his newly formed chorus, the rest of the quartet spend the whole day helping singers who've enrolled on the personal development stream. But by 8.30 on that first evening, the quartet is reunited for an hour-long session, taking questions from a large, inquisitive and eager audience. So how do you guys choose the songs that you sing? Is it that the arranger comes to you and says, I've got a great idea, with your arrangers in mind, or is it that you... you, you I'm Eric Dalby. I sing the lead. And Johnny Maroney, baritone. And I'm Chris Hallam. I sing the bass. I'm Tim Warwick. I sing the tenor. And we've just been watching you doing a Q&A with, with people at Harmony College here. You must be incredibly jet-lagged, but you've been working incredibly hard as well this weekend. Oh, yeah, we've had a lot of work, but it's been very uh, enjoyable. And uh, uh, I'm Johnny here, just to have, have a voice with a, a name. But I've been fortunate to direct one of the select ensembles and, uh, again, is comprised of singers from uh, around the U.K. have come together, and we've only had one day of rehearsal, but it's been very rewarding to see these uh, people from different walks of life and backgrounds come together and make a, a pretty fantastic chorus in just four or five hours. And your, your quartet has been together, I think, 15 years now. It was two, 2003, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. correct, yeah. yeah, yeah. And is it true? I mean, I, I saw this on your website, so I'm guessing that it is, but it seems incredible that you got together for a single gig at a single high school. Yes, that is true. We got together to work with high school kids and never stopped. So it's funny how that works. And now we're in England. What is it that keeps you all together then? Because it's, what, 13, 12, 13 years since you won the the International Quartet Contest. You've won Collegiate as well. And you're still together after all these years. I just think there's a... There's a motivation to, to to continue to sing and record albums, and I think we just enjoy singing together. So we enjoy hanging out and traveling. So I just think we we really enjoyed that process. One of the things about that too is I just we haven't really had a reason to quit. 
Mm. Is that a fair, like, looking yeah. at it from the other ways? We continue to get contracted to do shows, which is what we love. We get the opportunity to come over here at the Babs Convention. So, I mean, there's... I, which I we guess, love as well. Which we love of as course. well. So, I mean, I just, you know, I, I think maybe instead of saying how we kept stay together, I guess it's more we just haven't had the opportunity to, to give it up yet. But with a lot of people, life gets in the way. They, 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 they get married, uh, they have spouses, they have families, they have careers and things. There isn't time for barbershop. You, you all live pretty close together, don't you? We do. As of for, for about 13 years or 14 years of our existence, we all lived within 15-minute drive of each other. And some of them could throw football at each other's house. It was that close. <laughs> and, and I gather, I mean, listening to you just up in that question and answer session, somebody asked about rehearsing. And you say you do this thing where you not only duet, but you actually try and blend your voices individually, sort of ensemble. Yes, so we, yeah, well, yeah, we, we typically sing uh, in unison, so we'll sing with the lead, everybody singing the melody in perfect unison, and we'll find where the nuances exist where maybe we could tighten that up or be more synchronized or our target vowel integrity uh, it can sometimes be exposed. So we'll work on you know making sure that everybody's in lockstep, and then we'll split off into four-part harmony. I dream of with the If you're looking for that level of unison, I think it's tedious work, but that's what it takes to kind of be at the top of this art form. You know, it takes hard, hard work ethic and only, a lot of intentionality. I only have to learn one part. That's true. I'm the lead. <laughs> I, I take the point entirely. You, you've been you've been um, working uh, on a, with David Wright arranging a lot of songs for you. Uh, Jim Henry was also instrumental. I'm just wondering whether David or other arrangers really set out to try and test you? Because in the past, you've done some, some pretty crazy stuff. Who wants to answer that? Yeah, I think David has always every tried to... Every arrangement, he tries to push our ranges, and you know he tries to make the songs as epic and crazy as he can. That's just... I think his goal is to just... And I think he sees it in us sometimes. He'll see something and say, oh, he can do that, and then he'll put that in the arrangement to push us towards that. Has he ever asked you to do something you couldn't do? Yes. Yes, he has. Uh, we did a song. Uh, David arranged a song for us called An American in Paris. It's a George Gershwin orchestrated uh, song that David actually penned all the lyrics to. And it was like 486 measures long, 21 key changes. And David put a note in there that was lower than any note I've ever sung in my life. And I'm like, David, I can't sing that note. Well, lo and behold, it took us like two years to finally record this song. And by the time that we got to recording the song, my voice... My vocal range had increased enough that I actually could sing the notes. So he was a magician and a... Uh, he, was a he, was, he was ahead of his time. He was ahead of his time. <laughs> Lead Eric Dolby there talking about this incredible arrangement from David Wright. Can't get enough of this place. It's such a riddle to me. Don't have a minute to waste. Look at the people sipping coffee as they chat. Hey, look at the lady with the parrot and the cat. There's freaky hair, a funky car. It sometimes gets a bit bizarre. A monkey me. Charming, 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 
just can't get enough of it. Yep, I'm in love with it. Not just a little bit. Don't ever want to quit trekking all over it. This city is a hit. Can't get enough of it. Yep, I love it. So little time and there's so much to see. I'm drinking in the sights and the sounds. There's good vibrations in this town. There's fascination, liberation, captivation, excitation. Can't get enough of this place. What about the type of songs? I mean, we know you for Disney songs like I Want to Be Like You. We know you... For, for, for a certain type of, of, of song, it, is, is there a, a personality to your quartet and has it been changing, do you think, over time? Ooh, that's a very good question. I don't know yeah. if... I mean, uh, I, know, I, I know... I don't think we ever set out to be like a Disney quartet. I think just some of the songs we were attracted to at the time happened to be Disney songs. So I don't know if we've ever really sat around and said we want to be identified as ABC or XYZ. And I think even now... Maybe that's changed, but it's nothing we've sat around and discussed how we're, you know, going to evolve. So I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if you could put a specific title. I think we like to sing songs of all different genres, and yeah, I just think we we enjoy singing all types of music. So that's part of what we do. Well, given the other string to your bow, Tim, teach tracks. Over a thousand of them, I understand. I've got 17 on my phone. I was counting them today at the moment. Um, <laughs> Only 17 out of uh, 1,200? Well, no, no, not quite as many as that. But the, um, how did you discover that you, you had a voice perfectly suited to this? Because you've got a tremendous vocal range. Thanks. Some dying octaves on the piano. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, you know, I just I started recording myself back when I was younger, and I can... In the morning, I can happen to sing bass. Um, my voice, I, I'd say I have the range of more of a baritone tenor two that can sing higher notes. So I think that sort of suited me to be able to do all the parts because I can sing low in the morning and high in the afternoon. And, so. and those of us who listen hear these, these posts that seem to go on for absolutely ever on the end of your tracks. And I, people say, how on earth does he do that? And I, I, I wonder whether there's any very subtle editing going on. Please tell me there isn't. There's no editing, but what, what, what's the... How do I do it? How do you do it? Rectal breathing. <laughs> oh. Rectal breathing. No, there's no... I'm not editing. I'm not, I'm not stretching anything like that. Put it that way. I have too much pride to do that at this point in my life. There is something I wanted to ask all of you about regarding Teach Tracks, because uh, I noticed you said in the Q&A session that you don't use them as a quartet. And you do hear people from outside barbershop who sometimes say, well, if people are sight-reading music they have more freedom to interpret what they're seeing, the score, as they want to or as their chorus director or conductor wants to. If you learn by teach track, you've always got at the back of your mind the performance of the person who made the teach track, and that rather limits you. I think it can limit you if you allow it to. I think there are tracks out there that will probably, I hate to say this, probably have some bad habits in them that you might pick up and I think that uh, which mine don't of course mine don't have any bad habits in it absolutely just kidding Um, but I do think that ultimately once you get a a learning track and you have an interpretation you should be able to change it as much as you want and I think that the best groups do that and I think that when you pick up a new song hopefully the learning track gives you the best place to start and then you take it from there as opposed to being tied to the learning track I think that's the, the goal of what a learning track should be. It gives you a great example of hopefully a, a really good performance of a song, and then you take it and you make it your own. Just one more thing before I let you all go, and that is you were talking about never having any reason to break up, never having any reason to call time on the quartet. So if you are going to continue, what is there left to do? What is it you still have to do or still want to do? You know, to be honest... Um you know, we look at quartets like the Sun Tones and the Gas House Gang and the Bluegrass Student Union, and they have achieved kind of this, like, legacy or this kind of legendary status of just, like, being able to have the longevity. But on top of that, you know, for us, what helps us to stay relevant is to record and produce albums. It's kind of our way of competing, if you will. It gives us the opportunity to stay fresh and to stay uh, a really tight-knit ensemble. Um, and it helps us to kind of leave our mark in that in that capacity. And you've recorded different songs over the years, modern artists who you, who you would like to uh, to cover or, or, or have their songs arranged for you. 
That's a good question. You know, um, I know we've been more recently looking at different, you know, there's been some really famous and popular musicals that have come about recently that hit Broadway that we're exploring some of those options for potential new CD opportunities. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the nice thing about music is it's just so, you know, the, the, there's such a wide variety of options out there that I don't know. I don't know what's on the horizon for us. We'll, we'll keep kicking it around and see what comes to fruition. Well, it's been fabulous to see you here at Babs Harmony College, the, uh, the 40th anniversary event, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the show as well. Uh, Johnny, Eric, Chris, and Tim, thanks very much indeed. You're Thank welcome. you so Thank much. You thanks for having us. Take care. Oh, the sweet intoxication Touch me, Touch me. trust Trust me, savor each sensation Let the dream begin Let your darker side give in To the power of the music that I write The power of the music of the night Wasn't that just incredible? My thanks to Vocal Spectrum and that beautiful recording of the music of the night from Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera, along with their interpretation of Gershwin's An American in Paris, can be found on the quartet's fifth and latest album. You can download all five of their albums from the Vocal Spectrum website or buy them as shiny CDs, complete with some fine sleeve notes. The web address is vocalspectrum.com and the cost of each album is $15, which is around £12 at today's exchange rate. And as for the idea of more songs from current Broadway musicals, well, it does make you wonder. The Book of Mormon? Wicked. Hamilton? Could they? Well, whatever they turn out next, I'm sure that we won't be disappointed. Uh, You're listening to Harmony UK Podcast, our 15th edition, coming to you from the 40th Babs Harmony College. Over 350 participants from Britain and many other parts of Europe too. Is this your first time or are you a college uh, college regular? Oh, this is my first time because I'm coming from Germany. Oh, wow. Yes. Fantastic. So what do you make of it? Well, I love it. I love it, really. It's, It's wonderful. We have Harmony College in Germany as well, and so this is a little bit different. But I have a lot of friends here, and I'm just always very happy to meet them again. Are you a chorus singer or a quartet singer? Um, here I'm audition chorus singer. Fantastic. Whose audition chorus were you in? Um, I was in Johnny Moroni's chorus. And what was that like? It was wonderful. I mean, there's so much to learn, and but apart from learning, it's just the camaraderie and the friendship between the singers. It's just great. What, what, what's your name, by the way? Nicola. And whereabouts are you from, Nicola? Um, I live in Berlin now. There are also singers here from Ireland, France and Spain, which I suppose just goes to show how far the passion for barbershop harmony has spread in the past four decades since the first choruses were formed here in the UK and the first groups from North America came on tour. 
I've come to one of the lecture theatres to watch an old TV movie being shown here at Harmony College. Uh, made by the BBC, it's called Uncle Sam Meets the Red Dragon. And broadcast in 1976, it's a documentary by the way, it followed a group of touring barbershoppers from the US and Canada as they travelled to South Wales for a concert with a leading Welsh male voice choir. The bus is heading for Wales, where the Americans have arranged an impromptu concert with the Penderis male choir, the Red Dragon half of the title. On the way, a look at Stonehenge, which according to one American has been here since time immemorial and maybe even longer. The film is irreverent, the commentary sometimes rather tongue-in-cheek, but at the time it sparked a lot of interest which led to the formation of several new British choruses. And there are people around at this Harmony College who were there. I'm Tony Chapman and I'm with the Lincoln Barbershop Harmony Club and the chorus there is Harmony Links. It was in the very early days of the British, uh, British Barbershop when the Americans came over here and did this wonderful tour that they called uh, Uncle Sam Meets the Red Dragon but there was more to it than that. They didn't just go to Wales. They travelled right round the UK visiting other clubs as well. Tony was telling me that he became involved in the project through Don Amos, a, a British barbershop pioneer and the founder of England's first chorus, the Crawley Chordsman in West Sussex. When I first got into a barbershop in the UK, which was 1973, uh, I, I made friends with people in Toronto, had family in Toronto anyway, and they said, well, we, they've got friends in America down in Washington, D.C., introduced me to them, who invited me over in 1975, and they, in fact, mentioned to me back in 75 that there was this trip coming off in 76. I just sort of put it back in my, in my memory. And when I got home, back to, back to the UK, I spoke to Don Amos. And he said, oh, yes, I'm looking after that. Do you want to get involved? I had to sort of get time off work, which wasn't too much of a problem. And that was it. We just had this wonderful time travelling around with these Americans. What was your actual job then? What did you do to, for the tour? What did I do for the tour? Yeah. I, I just made sure they all behaved themselves, really. Uh, got off the bus, got on the bus, got to the right hotel. It was just like being a sheepdog handler, really, for Americans. <laughs> Interesting to watch it on the film, because there are two busloads of them, all very flamboyantly dressed in their barbershop outfits of the time, you know, stripy blazers and stripy and, and check suits and all that kind of stuff and big kipper ties. What, what did people think of them? Well, the, the bit we saw on the film were the people all dressed up in their, their gear on the open-top bus. That was a sort of a one-off. When they were travelling around on, on our ordinary buses, they were just dressed normally. So the punters didn't really take that much notice, but that little trip in... Uh, I forget where we were. Salisbury, I think. Was it Salisbury? Good Lord, a long time ago. Uh, that was a one-off. It was a bit of a show. A bit of a circus. The main hall of the Evervale Leisure Centre. A Welsh, sleek and efficient in dinner jackets. The Americans, like most of their products, brightly packaged. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot claimed for this film, uh, this concert that was shown with the Welsh male voice choir and the American barbershoppers taking the stage for alternate songs. What impact do you remember it having? Did, did, did people talk about it at the time? They did. Uh, of course, it was the first time a Welsh audience had seen that sort of thing. Um, I was sitting with the Americans because obviously that was part of, part of their tour, if you like, and they were loving it. And they even they thought the Welsh male voice choir were just superb. Well, in fact, they were. There's nothing quite like a Welsh male voice choir. And matched against a barbershop chorus was, was quite unusual, I think. It was quite a, a daring thing to do. And, and in 1973, last question for you. you you've been a barbershopper since 1973. This was 1976. What, what did you notice about the profile of barbershop and the interest of people before and after the film was shown? Before the show, I don't think they knew anything at all about it. It was something completely new. Uh, the BBC put a lot of work into publicising the show, uh, and that's why they went along. I think it was something new, something new for us, something new for them. So what, I wondered, did today's audience make of this 42-year-old TV documentary? Oh, it was fantastic. It was so lovely. It was like, it was just really historical and awesome. Do you think barbershops change much? Nah, it's pretty much, you know, enjoy yourself, sing a bit. It's a really good snapshot of history. Wonderful to see. Great. What struck you as different from today? 
Well, the I'd say an American chorus coming over now would be a, a much higher standard than they were back then, but that's the same as our standards have improved as well. It's supposed to have kicked off a lot of the interest in barbershop in this country. Yes, it did. Apparently, wherever that chorus went, um, clubs sort of sprang up. It's the final night of Harmony College. We are among a huge throng of people who are singing, having fun, drinking beer, as is the man I'm about to talk to now, Justin Miller, director of Westminster Chorus. You've been here directing a, a, a sort of scratch chorus. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, we're auditioning, uh, we had an audition chorus here at uh, Babs Harmony College, and uh, it was a really wonderful experience to work with people from all over the UK that came as part of the chorus. It was about uh, a little over 50 singers uh, in the chorus. We sang uh, Westminster's version of uh, Their Hearts Were Full of Spring, and we also sang an arrangement of Show Me Where the Good Times Are that was originated by the Suntones, but it was Westminster's rendition where we tweaked a couple things. We added an introduction and changed the tag, so it had a nice long lead post to the end. Uh, and it was just a, it was a lot of fun putting it together over the past couple of days. And I had the privilege of seeing it a couple of times in rehearsal because I was singing with the other chorus with Johnny Maroney. And, and, and then on, on stage, it looked absolutely amazing. Do you, do you find bringing people up to that level in a couple of days, I mean, does, does that take more out of you than the normal workaday job that you do with Westminster? No, uh, not really, because... I understand, I recognize that there's only so much progress that can really be made in two days. So I try to, in this situation, direct my attention to making sure that the people here that are hoping to learn are having the best time possible. And so um, that's, that's really my point, is to make sure they're learning something, that they're having fun, and hopefully we put together a good performance, and I think we did that tonight. as director so you've been there now in very nearly 10 years and it was originally a chorus for younger members who were ambitious and very competent singers I think that's, I'm right in saying 10 years on is the chorus getting older the chorus is getting older the, a lot of the same members are there um, so the average age is getting older however we still try to recruit younger uh, as an opportunity for young men that may have not been exposed to barbershop in other capacities to be exposed and to join a chapter, to join a chorus, and to uh, learn to appreciate the art form through that. So although the chorus is getting older, we still try to recruit towards a younger demographic. So why is a chorus like West... I mean, obviously you're excellent. Obviously we know the many songs that you've done. Many of them have seen them on, on, on YouTube, Seize the Day, and, and, and many others. But why is a chorus like this so necessary, do you think? Well, that's, that's a little bit more difficult to answer, but I think Westminster has been important because it's, it's thrown uh, a wrench into uh, what people have thought traditional barbershop to be. Certainly it's changed up what happens at the competition at the international level. Uh, it came to a point where we would have had one champ every three years and that probably would have stayed the same, would have been alternating between the vocal majority, the Ambassadors of Harmony, and the Masters of Harmony. And then w when Westminster came in there, it really threw a wrench into that three-year cycle, so it required everybody to raise their level. So I think uh, that's important. But also, we've uh, diversified our own repertoire to include more choral music and include more pop music, and I think that has influenced other choruses as well. 
That's interesting. So, so barbershop is perhaps a little less important than it was at the very beginning. Oh, absolutely. When we first started, it was all about barbershop and doing that. But, but pretty soon, we started uh, learning choral repertoire. We went to the Eisteddfod in Hanglachen and competed at the Choir of the World. And we learned a lot of choral music for that and really learned to appreciate it. And the techniques that we had to incorporate to learn that repertoire positively affected our barbershop. So uh, we continue to learn choral music, we continue to learn pop music, and we allow it to positively affect how we sing barbershop. Last year I was talking to Erasmus Kriegsman from Zero Eight, and Zero Eight have done pretty much a similar thing since Doug Harrington left. They have greatly diversified what they do. They do a lot of Renaissance church music now. They're, they're building their own repertoire of songs. They're having composers write things particularly for them. It's interesting that, that younger barbershoppers feel that they should branch out in this way. Uh, yes. Well, we, we do the same. We have, we have a good relationship with an American composer named Richard Burchard, who's composed a number of things for Ruff. We also work with American composer Sidney Guillaume. And, you know, it's just, I, I think to some degree, uh, I mean, I, I'm speaking for audiences in America, but choral people in America don't think very highly of barbershop and so we're trying to to change that but in order to change that we're kind of playing their game a little so we're singing a lot of choral music that they might appreciate and then showing them how well and how healthy we sing the barbershop style i, I would imagine into in some of their collective memory barbershop is just a bunch of guys screaming as loud as they can in order to ring the chord and we're trying to prove that it's something more elegant than that R rather like what's going on around us in some places this evening precisely precisely yeah <laughs> so is it paying dividends are you seeing signs that actually barbershop's reputation is is improving as a result of what you're doing i do you see a lot more more participation in in uh schools uh, around the United States. There's a lot more music educators being interested in barbershop, teaching barbershop. Uh, it's certainly not reading, reaching critical mass by any stretch of the imagination, but it's certainly uh, the reputation is improving. I have to ask you, because I, I missed your breakout session, which was about uh, rehearsals, and you were explaining what Westminster do in their rehearsals. Is there something that you do that is not widely done elsewhere that you think the rest of us might learn from? No, I don't think so. I, I mean... In a nutshell, the session was uh, what we do during warm-ups. We take warm-ups very seriously, thinking of them more as a voice lesson or a craft session rather than just straight-up warm-ups. Uh, and we spent about 30 minutes each rehearsal doing that. I think some courses might warm up very quickly and then go into the literature, but we really spend the time to uh, craft our sound. And then uh, the rest of the rehearsal is just a rehearsal like anybody else. We do do a couple of things special. We have a welcome song where we welcome our guests. And we tend to, you know, joke around a lot. But I think joking around a lot is, is not unique, just our chorus. I think lots of choruses have some levity during the evening. You mentioned guests. Are, are we all welcome to turn up at your rehearsals? Of course, yes. We, we at, at this stage, uh, we rehearse every Monday night in Anaheim, California, at the First Presbyterian Church of Anaheim. So if anybody is from the U.K., is in the area and wants to come by rehearsal, they are more than welcome. However, we are looking to change locations so visit our website if you want to uh, attend a rehearsal. Okay, well, one final question then. I can't let you go without asking you what's in the pipeline for Westminster Chorus now. Well, well the next year is going to look like this. Our next big event is the Far Western District Convention in October. And then in February, uh, the end of February, beginning of March, we are singing at the National Conference of the American Choral Directors Association, which is a really high honor to be invited. And uh, then after that, we are competing... Well, assuming all goes well in the fall contest in uh, October, we'll competing in the international convention in Salt Lake City in July. Sounds amazing. We shall look forward to seeing you there. Justin Miller, thank you very much indeed. Of course. Thank you very much. I'll shout and start
appropriately enough, a song called Astonishing from Westminster Chorus. It's from the musical Little Women, based on the Louisa May Alcott book, and that Robert Rund arrangement was performed together with the newfangled Four Quartet at the BHS Midwinter Convention this year in California. It's on YouTube and definitely worth checking out. Well, the bar at Harmony College was packed after the Saturday night show. Moments after I'd finished chatting to Justin Miller, I bumped into the current Babs gold medal quartet, the Locksmiths. So, I'm Zach, I sing baritone. Uh, I'm Simon, I sing lead. I'm Andy, and I sing bass. And I'm Rich, I sing tenor. And you've been singing on the show tonight at Harmony College, and you went down the storm. It seems so. The, audi- the audience seems to enjoy it. I mean, it's a long weekend, but it's, a, it's still a highlight of the year for everyone let's be fair it's fantastic it's a lot of singing but it's great fun and this i'm told is your fifth anniversary as well it is indeed yes yeah five years ago tonight we we had our first congregation we we sang together in this format for uh, for the first time and i think it it, it we sort of we, it we've we found we got a good combination so um taking it from there really but initially, the locksmiths was a, a bit of a slow burn, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think I think geographically meant that we didn't necessarily rehearse as much as we'd have liked to. Uh, we managed to sort that one out in the last year. But yeah, it took us four years to get probably to about 20 rehearsals total. So, uh, but yeah, we've, uh, we've managed to get there in the end. And winning at Babs in May, just, just tell us about that. What difference has it made to you? Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, seeing so many fantastic quartets in the finals and the just kind of disbelief that we'd uh, we've managed to uh, achieve our goal absolutely elated i've i've never cried from being so happy so yeah brilliant brilliant <laughs> and that's the song that went down really well tonight but but Zach it was a bit different tonight wasn't it it, it was yeah I mean Babs was the out, first outing for, for Jezebel and we knew Cy had the um, ability to really sell such a crazy song but um, this weekend working with a fantastic uh, John Palmer and Gaynor Schofield but with the, with the visuals for Jezebel certainly with JP actually two hours this after, very afternoon only really it's been a bit two, two hours slog before dinner tonight where he just said can you get a hat so that was how it started really <laughs> and, th- and this is what we ended up with you know something a lot more visual a lot more dare I say a bit more us yeah. a, a more kind of thing you know we, we do we've done contests we try to sing well and the audience have understood that from from when we won gold but it's been great fun tonight to show them that actually we have a laugh this is sound only so describe the point of the visuals and the, and, and, and the joke well, as the lead, I generally in the song am ever so slightly, shall I say, eccentric. It's probably a nice way of putting it. Scary. Uh, scary. scary. At some point, I stroke Zach's face, huh. prowl around the stage looking for a victim. Uh, yeah, kind of basically like rehearsals and in real life. Uh, yeah, so yeah, pretty much just like me, but in musical form. And it's a stroke of genius because this is a, a song from, what, the 1950s, I guess. Is that right? Um, well, it, 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 the song I think is older than that, but I mean, the, for, from from barbershopping point of view, it was um, Suntones, nineteen sixties, yeah, early sixties. But one of their standard rep songs that just always went down a, a treat. I don't, they, they they didn't treat it visually as we, we have, as we yeah. have, 
admittedly. But but, but, um, but it's good that you did because it's a song about a female temptress, a sort of femme fatale, and, and actually if you did it straight in this day and age, well, exactly. a lot of people yes. probably wouldn't find it acceptable. Uh, absolutely, yeah, I think the, the context... You, you've got to do it ironically, really, haven't you? Absolutely. In this, yeah, you say, context nowadays, yeah, absolutely. It's more. It's seemed more appropriate, oddly, more appropriate to be as inappropriate as Cy gets, oddly enough. <laughs> I can't, I can't help myself sometimes. You know. <laughs> if ever a pair of eyes promised paradise, deceiving me, grieving me, leaving me blue. Jezebel, it was you. So you, you, you said this is very you. Tell us about the nature of the quartet. Well, I, I mean, th this is the side of the quartet that I think we, we kind of wanted to show people a bit more of because we've done a lot of, sort of kind of serious emotional ballads, which is kind of what we've been known for in contest. And um, we do have a great time at rehearsals, a lot of laughs, a lot of stuff that people wouldn't perhaps expect from the four of us. But behind closed doors in rehearsal, it's it's a lot of fun. So it's just nice for people to see a little bit of that side that we can bring out and put on stage and share with our audience tonight. You know, and it's been great, and hopefully we can continue to do that. And presumably, you're you're planning for the international stage next year as well. We don't necessarily next year. We're hoping possibly uh, LA in 2020, possibly. But really, we're just looking at kind of improving, making sure we uh, kind of work towards Babs uh, in May next year. Uh, and make sure we kind of have our swan song and, and live out our championship year uh, and finish that on a high, really. So we're obviously looking forward to Labs in October, obviously a show in December, Gold Rush show, and then uh, Babs in May. So, yeah, we're, uh, we've got looking forward to our uh, terrestrial-based uh, opportunities. Well, the crowd here at terrestrial-based Harmony College in Nottingham absolutely love you. Congratulations. Hope you have a fantastic year, and thanks very much indeed for talking to us. Thank thanks you. very Thank much. You. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I won't send roses and roses Locksmiths with another of their songs from that Saturday night show, I Won't Send Roses. Thanks to our lines from Babs for providing those show recordings. And the Locksmiths are by no means the only quartet who will remember fondly the moment that they stepped onto that Harmony College 40th anniversary stage. For so many quartet and chorus singers from throughout the UK and beyond, their participation in the Saturday night show was a testament to the work that they put into the weekend and the progress they'd achieved. This quartet has a total of 37 years experience in barbershop. And all of it is right here. <laughs> These other three guys just joined. So, let's welcome them to the stage and to barbershop, Aiden Lee, Gareth, and Tom Harbour Lights. <laughs> time at Harmony College? Uh, yes, this is the first time here. Yeah, It's been a very exciting weekend. And, and I think I saw you on stage. Tell me about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, we got to sing on stage as part of the quartet stream. So we've had about 13 hours of coaching over the last two days, which is a lot. It has fried our brains a bit. There's a lot to learn. So we had to come up on stage and try and put it all together and do the best performance we could. What was the quartet? Uh, Harbour Lights. Harbour Lights, so we were introduced by saying Harbour Lights have 37 years of experience, of which 36 are Aidan, and then, <laughs> then there's the other three of us who've got relatively little experience. No, I, think, I think he was your tenor, you, you are... 
Uh, I'm the lead. You're so the lead and your I'm name is? I'm James. James, okay. I'm the lead. And, and, and what was it like up on that big festival stage there? It was great. I mean, it was, uh, it's clear that the audience is incredibly supportive. As soon as you get on stage, uh, people were very, very supportive. You couldn't have an audience that wanted you to do well more than we had here. So it's really, I think it shows the kind of community that exists here. It was really good. You're a first-timer at Harmony College. So, am, um, so, yeah. so what's, what's been the best thing about it for you? Uh, I, I, hmm, I think getting together with the quartet and spending the time together and you know we, it's, <laughs> there's been times when it's been a little bit heated there's been times when we're really supportive and uh, generally I mean it's been with the friends here a lot of my friends from Capital Chorus here as well and I think that sense of community and support has been great I really enjoyed that I'm Joseph I'm from Sheffield and, and I sing baritone I'm on the personal development stream it's fantastic it involves all sorts of different sessions that you can drop in and out of Arranging sessions with David Wright, which are amazing, as you'd expect. Vocal technique sessions with Eric Dolby. Uh, you name it. Fantastic. It's a pick-and-mix uh, adventure through the weekend. What's the big thing that you'll take away from this, then, this weekend? An extreme love of barbershop beyond what I already had. The fantastic experience of singing with people, strangers, you know, people, you know, all the songs you can... Uh, sing with people that you, you've never met just instantaneously on the spot so many things, so many things loads of information that I still need to decode when I've had another drink Now, we've heard his name several times already in this podcast and many of us will be familiar with his arrangements From Brother Can You Spare a Dime to Good Vibrations From Mary Did You Know to Mary Lou David Wright is one of the most creative and prolific arrangers around today blending barbershop harmonies with jazz blues, gospel and many other forms of popular music. He's a noted historian of a cappella and barbershop and he has a parallel career as a professor of mathematics. Well, here at Harmony College, he's held sessions on arranging, on the African-American foundations of barbershop harmony and what the future holds for a style of music that he prefers to describe as a passion rather than a hobby. Well, during a brief lull in his teaching schedule, David Wright told me how he got started. I was always interested in uh, chords and in arranging, and even before I got into barbershop, I was writing arrangements for my family quartet that sang gospel music. And uh, so when I got into barbershop, which was four-part harmony a cappella, that's exactly what I'd been singing. It was pretty natural for me to like the harmony, but also want to write arrangements. And then soon after I joined barbershopping, I had a quartet. And like most quartets, we wanted material that wasn't sung by everybody else, and I started writing arrangements for that quartet. There were three different quartets I had, and I wrote, uh, not at the same time, but (laughs) during the 70s and 80s, I was in three quartets, and I wrote arrangements for those. And then, I guess, pretty soon people started noticing things that I'd written and wanting them, and maybe wanting me to write arrangements for them. So it just sort of started with my own groups and then blossomed out from there. Do you remember the first song that you decided to arrange? Oh. No, I, I really don't. It was probably back when I was writing for a gospel quartet. But after I got into barbershop, I don't know, I was directing a chorus of old guys for a while, and I tried to write arrangements for them. Uh, one of the first arrangements of a serious song that I attempted was an arrangement of Send in the Clowns. And... Uh, to tell you the truth, it, it turned out awful. My wife uh, decided they were going to honor me as an arranger at some party a few years ago, and she started digging around through my files, and that's the first one in the files that she could find. And it was, of course, handwritten because we didn't have musical notation software back then, so she decided to, to type it into a finale and, and hear what it sounds like because she wanted to play it at this uh, Recognition, and she said it was so bad that she she just canned the idea of using it at all. So you know, I'm sure when I first started, I wasn't very good at it. But there are now many, many great uh, arrangements by yourself of, of of a huge variety of songs. What what is it that draws you to a song? What is it that that gives you that itch that says, yeah, I would love to do something with that? Yeah, I don't know. That's a hard question to answer. You know, anybody has songs that they like and you know is there some particular hook in the song that you might like you might like its rhythm you might like its melody uh, you might like its lyrics 
something there's really engaging and and so once i decide what i like in the song then i try to amplify on that in the arrangement and then of course i get asked to arrange all kinds of things that i don't particularly have an idea for quite frequently i'm writing an arrangement for somebody and they've requested a song and it may be a song that i don't particularly like but uh, somehow i've got to get into that piece of music or or ask myself why would a person like this and you know and then write it the arrangement from the perspective of somebody that really liked that song so you have to be willing to take on you know uh, the perspective of another person sometimes when you arrange so sometimes i arrange a song and i wouldn't have chosen to arrange that song at all so does that mean that when you're looking at uh, a quartet like Vocal Spectrum, who of course are at Harmony College uh, here in Nottingham this weekend, you're looking more at what the performer can bring to the song than, than, than whether or not you like the song itself? Yes, definitely. We look for opportunities that will highlight the persona of that performer. And uh, of course, in the case of Vocal Spectrum, you have lots of options because they have a lot of range in the quartet. So that gives you opportunities to do many things you couldn't do for a lesser quartet. Elijah Rock, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, coming up the hood. Elijah Rock, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, coming up the hood. Elijah Rock, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, coming up the hood. Elijah Rock, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, coming up the hood. Elijah Rock, shout, shout. Elijah Rock, coming up Come on, sister, help me to pray. Tell me, my Lord, done pass this way. Come on, sister, help me to pray. Tell me, my Lord, done pass this way. Tell me, my Lord, tell me, my Lord, done pass this way. Have you ever turned down then a, a, a commission? If somebody's come to you and said, could you arrange this song for us? Is, is, are, there, are there reasons that you might sometimes say no? It rarely happens, but you know, once I've agreed to write an arrangement for somebody, I'll usually arrange what they want. I suppose there have been a few cases. They might have wanted a song for competition. And I just have to say, that song doesn't work for competition. If I arranged it as a contest song, it's going to ruin the song. And I just really wouldn't enjoy doing that. So I can remember that happening a time or two. But if I just didn't like the song, uh, I usually bite the bullet and do it for them anyway. Many of our, uh, our barbershop quartets and choruses, of course, have sung your songs. And I'm just wondering whether you are aware of perhaps changing the boundaries through what you do of what the judges might accept over time. Do you, do you ever think, well, this might not be contestable, but maybe if I put this little bit in, they will come round to it? Yes, I think a lot of arrangers do that. You know, I'm thinking... This might be something that's on the boundary of what would be acceptable. But if it's done artistically enough and it's sung well by whoever I'm doing it for, then maybe people will accept it. And I've, I've found that's happened uh, quite a number of times. And as modern songs come out, and we have an awful lot of four-chord songs at the moment, you approach people sometimes. I've, I've, I've spoken to people here about songs by people like Adele, and they've said, well, you shouldn't really have those songs arranged for barbershop because they're not barbershop songs, they're not going to work, they're four-chord songs. Do you think that we're coming to a point where maybe some of those songs might be more acceptable? Of course, we are. Uh, and, and bear in mind that adding harmonic variety to a song that doesn't necessarily call for it is an old barbershop habit. You know, we do that, you know, yes, sir, that's my baby. When we sing that, that song basically doesn't have much harmonic variety at all. By the time we get done dressing it up, it, it does. Yes, sir, that's my baby. No, sir, I don't mean maybe. Yes, sir, that's my baby now. Yes, ma'am, we've decided. No, ma'am, we won't hide it. Yes, ma'am, you're invited now. Right now, by the way. By the way. By the way. By the way. When we reach the 
preacher aisle. I do need you to yes me. So it's it's not true that barbershoppers just add harmonic variety to new songs. They add harmonic variety to old songs as well. So if a if a modern song may have a limited number of chords, but there are opportunities to create more chords, then it's probably going to work just fine. On the other hand, you don't want to add chords that just totally take you away from the character of that song, and that can be the danger. You may make something that, okay, it's acceptable to be sung in barbershop and even in a contest, but now it doesn't sound like the song anymore. So people who like that song are going to say, well, that, that's a terrible arrangement. It doesn't sound like the song. So you run into that risk. Anytime you change a composer's work, if the song is well known, you have to do it very artfully and you have to kind of convince the listener that this is okay. You were talking about a very traditional song there. That, yes, sir, that's my baby. You're here talking to a lot of people about barbershop history in which you have a strong interest. How much do we know, do you think, about barbershop as a, as a group of people, as a, as, as a fraternity, if you like? Do we appreciate the history of our, our, of our hobby? I try to help people appreciate it because I teach the course History of Barbershop. I've taught it at Harmony University in the United States for quite a number of years. Uh, I taught a course here this weekend at the, at the Babs Harmony College on history of barbershop. I taught a uh, breakout session in, on the African-American roots of barbershop. So I try to keep this in the forefront. And, and I think people uh, are more aware of the roots of barbershop now than they were you know, when I joined the society uh, in the 1970s. It seems like the roots of barbershop before the existence of a barbershop harmony society were practically forgotten, and nobody cared. And yet you were saying at that seminar that you ran on the African-American basis for barbershop that, that perhaps that is still underappreciated by many people. Probably is, but we're making it more and more known. And at our convention, BHS convention uh, last year in Las Vegas, uh, there was a, a special presentation that recognized the Grand Central Red Caps that were a quartet was excluded from the society in 1941. Those four gentlemen were mentioned by name, and they were given posthumous uh, honorary memberships in the society. And so that was presented in front of everybody at that convention, so thousands of people, plus it was streamed, so it went out on YouTube. And, and so I believe that people are becoming more and more aware, and I believe our barbershop organizations are becoming more aware of their responsibility to make sure that that situation is rectified. While we can neither comprehend the personal impact each of the red caps may have felt nor correct it, we can at least place a marker on this chapter of our history. We can say this happened to these four men. It shouldn't have and it won't happen again. And the Red Caps excluded in 1941, even though they'd actually won a very major competition in front of a lot of people. They had won the New York City Parks Contest, which had been uh, held in New York City since either the late 20s or early 1930s. And they won in front of 15,000 people. And they got a huge reception from the New Yorkers. How... Difficult is this for members of the Barbershop Harmony Society because very often, particularly when you look at historic wrongs that people maybe nowadays know very little about, it's actually quite painful to recognize those. It is, and yet we have to, don't we? I mean, ignoring ugly chapters of the past is dangerous. It's better to confront them. I mean, just uh, put it on a grander scale, look at what happened in Europe uh, before, uh, leading up to World War II. Uh, we could say, well, that's so ugly, I don't want to think about it. But it's a real mistake if we don't think about it. We've got to think about it, or, or history repeats itself. The same with the exclusion of, of African Americans in the barbershop. You know, it happened. We need to acknowledge that it happened, and we need to try to rectify that situation and certainly make sure nothing like that ever happens again. Of course, the society is also now accepting women as members. There will no doubt be women in the fullness of time singing on, on the risers, uh, possibly taking part in, in competitions. How radically do you think Barbershop is going to change over the next few years? Well, that is a significant change. I think Barbershop has undergone a natural evolution since its inception, and that goes back in the 1800s somewhere in the murky past. We don't know exactly when or where. 
But uh, if you look at its century and a half, over a century and a half of, of development, it's come a long ways. And it's come a long ways, say, in the last 25 or 30 years, but probably no more so than it evolved from, say, 1940 to 1970. So all of the evolution is natural, and really a, a very natural step, given the fact that we have male and female organizations all over the world, and they relate to each other, they have joint offense with each other, we have uh, judges in women's societies judging in men's and vice versa, why not go ahead and have an organization that embraces both males and females. And as a matter of fact, this has been done in Germany. The barbershop in Germany, Bing organization, has had female and male membership from the very beginning, which I believe was the early 1990s. And in the last, I don't know, five to seven years, they've had mixed ensembles, and they've just put them in the same competitive framework as everybody else. So basically, it's genderless. You know, everybody can compete. They don't uh, distinguish between men's, women's, or mixed. They're, they're all in the same forum, the same contest. So I suspect that's probably where we're heading. So uh, we're going to see BHS competitions with no gender distinction, the men's chorus followed by a women's chorus followed by a mixed chorus, and nobody's going to care. I, I can't guarantee that's the way it's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised, put it that way. You are a member of the, the, the Hall of Fame at uh, BHS, I think I'm right in saying. Which of your songs do you think is going to endure? Which one do you think they're probably going to be? Which one do you hope they're going to be singing in 50, 60, 70 years' time? Oh, tough question. Uh, that, that is a really hard question. I don't know. I mean, some that come to mind are the, certainly the ones that seems to be most popular with the masses are the 76 trombones rendition by the Ambassadors of Harmony, which is on YouTube and uh, has a huge number of, uh, of views um, for a barbershop performance. 76 trombones Ages ago, I did the Rhapsody in Blue thing for ambiance, my wife's fabulous quartet. That seems to have stood the time. People love it just as much now as they did then. You know, I, I wrote the arrangement of Hello, Mary Lou, very simple arrangement, but everybody stands around singing. I was there over drinking a beer in the pub, and there was bunch of guys standing around singing hello yeah how did that feel well, it feels fine you know they're enjoying the singing and you know it's simple enough that it can be enjoyed by the masses so it doesn't bother me at all that it's become like almost like a folk song in barbershop Okay, well, let's narrow this down a little bit. In this country, there is a radio show which has been going since World War II. It's called Desert Island Discs, in which a guest is invited to take their eight favorite recordings to musical recordings to a desert island. If you could take just one of your songs, uh, sung by one particular chorus or quartet, and we would place you on that desert island, what would it be? Hmm. Oh, that's that's tough. That's tough. Well, the recording, if I could only have one, it actually might be one of Vocal Spectrum's recordings. Uh, I don't know, this last one they did, they pretty much outdid themselves. Uh, They did a great rendition of Zoot Suit Riot, for example, which I arranged for them. So given that and the other great stuff that's uh, on their their CD, some of which I arranged and some of which other uh, excellent arrangers did, that that might be the one I would take to the desert island. You got it. David Wright. Thanks very much indeed. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Who's that whispering in the trees? It's two sailors and they're on leave. Pipes and chains and swinging hands. Who's your daddy? Yes, I am. Fat cat came to play. Now we can't run fast enough. You'd best stay away when the pushers come to shove. Toot, toot, riot, riot. Throw back all the leaves. Toot, toot, riot, riot. Pull the comb through your cold black hair. 
Zoot Suit Riot, Riot. Down the bottle of beer, yeah, it's a Zoot Suit Riot, Riot. Zoot Suit Riot, chosen by David Wright as his Desert Island disc and performed by Vocal Spectrum. It's on their fifth album, as is Elijah Rock, played earlier during that interview. Incidentally, Yes Sir, That's My Baby was sung by a quartet called Trade Secret, who you can find on YouTube, uh, where you can also watch the ceremony in which the Barbershop Harmony Society finally honoured the Grand Central Redcaps, the African-American quartet excluded from the original Speb Scusa because of racial discrimination back in 1941. In a short film, that story is told by David Wright and Stanley Johnson from the Ambassadors of Harmony. Uh, sadly, they couldn't find a recording of all four Red Caps singing together, but there is an intriguing audio clip in that film of two members singing with a different quartet called the Southern Singers, in which the tenor is a woman. Yep, mixed voice barbershop harmony being sung 80 years ago. Uh, check it out when you have the time, definitely worth the effort. And that's all from this 15th edition of Harmony UK podcast. Uh, my thanks to David Wright, to Vocal Spectrum, Justin Miller, the Locksmiths, and to everyone who put up with me uh, waving a microphone in front of them in Nottingham, and especially, of course, to you for listening. I'm hoping that there'll be another podcast before the end of the year. In the meantime, I'll leave you with a song in time on a tradition recorded at the close of this 40th Babs Harmony College. Until the next time, from me, John Beasley. Bye-bye.